0: The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM.
1: as Alaikum and welcome to the Book Club show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imranah Mahmoud and today's the 18th of July and it's just turned 10 o'clock. I hope you have had um, a good morning so far. The sun is out, which is nice. I know we've had some spells of, of rain and some gusty winds. And I know a lot of people had to kind of change their plans. But hopefully, hopefully we are leading into um, a good summer. Um, but I did see on the news just recently, we, what we've done, what's happened is we've been saved by this jet stream. Because um, I don't know if you've heard, but Europe is... Experiencing extremely hot weather um, and obviously we can have a whole kind of conversation i guess about uh, the climate crisis but just to mention that actually we are okay at the moment so hopefully we've got a bit of uh, mixed weather but i guess we're used to that um in this country anyway coming back to um the show today the book club show and i'm really delighted to have a wonderful guest on the show today and we will be discussing the book Hands Off Our Hijab. And this has been written by um, Farad Amin. Um, So as always, I'm just going to read the blurb at the back to give you um, an idea of what the book is about and what we will be discussing today. And then I will introduce um, you to our lovely guest. So Hands Off Our Hijab. In 2021, under the presidency of Emmanuel Macron, France dared to ban Muslim women and girls under 18 from wearing the hijab in public. What was the response from the liberal progressive world? Shameful silence. So as believers, how should we react to this attack on our Islamic dress code? Why do non-Muslim politicians and governments hate our hijab? How can Muslims individually and collectively support the challenges sisters are facing? I will tackle these questions in the book and I believe we need to put liberal hypocrisy on trial. I sincerely want to help Muslims make sense of the challenging situation and take back control of the narrative, but not on their own terms, on Allah's terms. Inshallah, I pray this bit will help you make sense of the world right now so you can move forward confident and comfortable in your hijab. It may seem like our enemies have the upper hand, but we have Allah on our side, the creator of the universe. Um, so I'm really delighted to be speaking today to the author of Hands Off um, of Our Hijab, um, who is Farad Amin. She is an author. Her books include Smart Single Muslimer, Hands of Our Hijab and Smart Teenage Muslimer. Um, via her books and courses she promotes Islamic family values to Muslim women and the Islamic alternative to feminism and promiscuity. You connect with Farad by visiting her website ww or following her on Instagram, which is Afarat Amin underscore UK. So Aslaw alaikum Farad, how are you doing this morning? I'm not sure if you I'm a oh good, well. good. you're able to hear um, me okay okay good I was just thinking it might be a bit of delay
0: is the connection a bit I'm wondering maybe if I should go inside
1: is the connection a bit slow it seems a little bit slow i think there might be a bit of lag so um yeah that might be an idea just so we haven't got like periods of silence okay so shall we how how
0: should we do this should we shall i
1: I mean, we can carry Turn on. Turn off and then come back on again. Yeah, if you want to do that. I mean, I can talk a little bit about your book and then we, we you can kind of rejoin if you think the connection might be better. In okay, a, in a different then, yeah. Place. Let,
0: let's do that, inshallah.
1: Oh, okay, fantastic. All right, Zakla, thank you. Okay, then. Okay, so we'll just have a um, friend rejoin just to make sure that we don't have any... um issues um with the connection um so yeah today we are talking about hands off our hijab and i think it's probably quite a pertinent um topic for us to speak about um today and obviously as i've mentioned in the um as was mentioned in the introduction itself and in the blurb um A lot of the discourse around it has probably been primarily because of some of the, um, I guess you want to say, rules or some of the laws that have been passed in France in particular. Um, But obviously, how this has then gone on to um, impact um, across the, you know, across the board, really, even globally, that impact that it's had and how it's kind of filtered through. Now, personally, you know, I know that we're always having lots of discussions potentially when it comes to Muslim women and their clothing and especially hijab. It almost seems like it's become a bit of a contentious subject. And, you know, I'm not quite sure why. I mean, for me kind of personally, um, I mean, when I started wearing hijab, it was a very conscious choice. I was was a little bit older. I was already a teenager. And um, I think it was this idea that actually it's kind of a faith marker to me like how for me personally was I able to show that I'm kind of part of the Muslim faith and you know I'm a Muslim and you know just to show maybe how much um my religion meant to me I guess so you know it was very much I felt like there wasn't so much um maybe pressure to be a certain way and I think what's probably happened is over the years especially recently because of social media um you know, aesthetics play, you know, an important point. We have now lots of um, kind of influencers are doing hijab, different maybe like hijab tutorials or, you know, which is kind of amazing. You know, I think there's a lot of resource and a lot of positivity when it comes to, you know, social media and, and how we're able to use it. Um, but definitely along with some of the kind of positives, obviously, you know, you, the, the, there may be some negatives as well. And I do feel maybe as some women there is a pressure sometimes to to look a certain way um we're constantly being questioned i guess by people who don't share the same faith about um you know why why we wear a headscarf or you know if you're wearing a headscarf why are you doing this other thing and there's all there's there's sometimes this tension you know kind of i feel but ultimately you know i think it's such a beautiful um a beautiful testament yeah to to our faith and you know i'm really looking forward to um Speaking to, to Furt, I mean, as soon as um, she kind of joins us um, back in the virtual studio. And if you are um, watching us, um, we are actually live on Facebook, so you can um, follow the link on Inspire FM. Um, to, to kind of watch us there or of course we're on various platforms but you can obviously listen to um inspire fm via um the the website as well um if you want to if you have any questions or comments for today's show you can um call on call in on 01582481822 we're also on whatsapp so that's zero triple seven nine four eight one eight double two, and the website is www.inspirefm.org um so let's go to um and um just say assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Sorry about that. So, it's so nice to be on to speak to
0: you. No, thank
1: you so much for taking the time out and and just speaking with us. Yeah, I no, I'm really looking forward to um our discussion. And I guess maybe just a starting point really is um why this particular book and kind of why now? What was the I guess ins- yeah, I guess inspiration to to write it, write it?
0: I think to be truly honest, it was um, a sense of um, not being heard, and I could, and I, and there was a lot of speaking to other Muslim women who, both, you know, both wear hijab or do not wear hijab. Seeing what was happening in France, where our sisters were physically being told to remove their hijabs, we all know a very famous scene on the beach where um, a sister was forced by, a police, intimidated, mm. and really, and it was a. a Literally, you could see the the hatred in their eyes where they're telling the sister to take off her Borghini. You know, she's with her family; she just wants to have a nice day out. And and then when these new laws were introduced over the past few years, where um, girls who were my daughter's age, I used to be a teacher, so I used to work in high schools, and you know, seeing girls being told you have to either choose between your education or obeying your creator, you know, I found that so. Um, You know, I felt quite helpless in that thinking, what can I do to raise awareness about this? Because and as an author, I thought the best thing that I can do is write a book. That's my talent. That's what I'm going to do. So I began researching this whole subject. And it's so interesting that as um, a woman who has been wearing hijab for over 20 years, I have never experienced the reading the accounts of women, whether it's in France, whether it's the sisters in India, again, young women in particular, who are being humiliated when they go to reach their college doors and their school doors. They have to take off their hijabs and they're being filmed by, um, you know, um, basically, you know, bigots who then put this online to shame them. And, all, and what is their crime? Their crime is that they want to obey their creator. You know, they want to be seen. When they go out in public, they want everyone to know that, yes, I'm Muslim. Mm-hmm. And they are being um, targeted and punished for that. So I thought there's a lot of... In, in mainstream media, I think we can all agree that the way Muslims in general and then Muslim women who are very visibly um, Muslim are portrayed and targeted whether that's through popular culture where you know you've got these ridiculous shows like uh, the bodyguard where the main you know um the main um, mm. terrorist was a muslim woman in hijab you know she could have looked like my daughter or me or you to be honest and that's the image that is being given spread very widely um to you know your normal average british you know joe out there that's the image they're being given on muslim women And then on top of that, there's this idea that we are somehow extremely oppressed when we are wearing our hijab and obeying our creator. So there's so many issues there regarding um, hijab. Uh, A lot of um, um, propaganda is is a strong word, but I think many Muslim women, we feel that, um, we feel the brunt of it. And so I thought, well, let's just write a book. It's not about, this book isn't about... um, you know, hijab per se as, you know, uh, journeys that sisters go through. Alhamdulillah, there are many very good books written about that. This is more looking at the, answering the question, why? Mm -hmm. Why do we, why are we made to feel like non-Muslim politicians, liberal politicians in particular, in the West? You don't get this in, you know, for example, if you visited South America, uh, and I know people who have, for example, women who have visited African countries that are Mm non-Muslim, they don't, Get any kind of hate on non-Muslims. They have no problem mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, women wearing a hijab doing, you know, doing things. But there's a particular problem that liberal politicians, the liberal media has with us. The problem mm-hmm. is with them, not mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. And they are choosing to ban our hijabs. They are made, like as I've said, you know, um, be very negative and. For a woman living in England, in the UK, in France, um, where, you know, in different countries, you know, for example, Switzerland has banned the niqab, in in Quebec, in Canada, they have, um, you know, as far as getting a job and wearing hijab, they've made it very difficult for women. I wanted to write a book that they would understand what are the causes and rather than blaming Islam for the problem, which can sometimes happen... Mm-hmm. Um, but also mm-hmm. in the, the, you'll see that liberals blame Islam for our problems. They'll they encourage us to take it off, mm-hmm. you know. And I wanted to explain with the why so that yeah. we can understand the thing. OK, right. And well, now that I understand what their problem is, I'm not going to succumb to that. And I'm not going to feel sad about it. And I'm going to do something else. I'm going to turn to Allah and ask Allah to strengthen me and reward me for this um, difficult, challenging time that I'm going through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've done um, a really great job in your book, Hands Off a Hijab, to really kind of encapsulate that, that i guess you know um tension between the fact that of course it's something really a personal choice and the fact that is between you know um us and our creator but then at the same time like you said there's you know so many across europe which are literally criminalizing um you know mm. this this very uh act of, of devotion you know to, to our faith and i um, really early on uh, in your book so you say that um and surprisingly, the lack of solidarity shown to Muslim women only reveals selective morality of the liberal progressive world. And obviously, you've just mentioned the fact that, you know, you feel that, you know, there's liberal um, kind of politicians in particular that have a certain problem with uh, kind of, you know, the, the visibility, I guess, of, of Muslim women. So why do you think this kind of selective morality even exists in the first place? Like, What, what is it? Well,
0: I'm going to very briefly explain what are the two pillars of liberalism because i do think mm-hmm. that is if we can understand that and grasp that mm-hmm. everything else makes sense so there's two fundamental pillars and um this is a big subject so i um i apologize to anyone that i'm condensing it but sure. for the sake of time so there are two pillars one is uh, liberalism a fundamental pillar is secularism that means mm-hmm. that when you you can believe in a religion that's fine but you keep it very private that, that's what they, if you live in a liberal state like UK, US and France, mm. that's how they want the citizens to behave. You can be a Christian, a Muslim, um, you know, whatever. This is mm. the theory, by the way. And they say that, yeah, keep it to private. So you go and worship, you don't bring it into the public sphere. You don't, it doesn't get um, involved in the making of laws. And mm. for people, there shouldn't be these very, pu- these public displays of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they have that is that they, because of their their past, which was um, you know so you had Catholicism, um, you know this is the sixth, before the sixteenth century and, and on continuing into sixth century, sixteenth century. Sorry, mm-hmm. you had thinkers like John Locke who they felt that religion is a problem. And to be completely honest, for European history, Christianity and Catholicism in particular was. was a cause of many wars. So they felt that, okay, we need to take religion out of politics, out of um, the public sphere, and then everyone will be happier. Everyone can just get on. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. You can, you know, then we we just leave Christianity out of it. And they had to replace it with something else. And what was that something else? It was reason. It was the, you know, the human mind. Human reason will decide laws... And we will. And they came up with this idea of human rights, that every human being is born with certain rights. Mm-hmm. If you want to study it further, please look into John Locke in particular. So they, he, he was the founder of liberalism. So they had this idea, so you be secular and you have human rights. Now then the question is, who decides what those human rights are? Now mm-hmm. back then, those human rights of having liberty, having freedom and autonomy and this idea of choice, being able to own property. That was just for men, men who of a particular age. So anyone who was, for example, they had servants and slaves, they weren't given those rights. Women were not given those rights. There was no, so, so they had a very um, specific mm-hmm. concept of who deserves those rights. Mm-hmm. Now let's just fast forward to where we are now. You now have the idea where, okay, you can, again, you there are rights that exist and they say everyone has a right to them. But in their mind, they have a problem with religion. So any rights that a religion gives people and with rights and responsibilities that um, are endowed by Allah for Muslims and for non-Muslims, to be honest, mm-hmm. they are not as important. You know, so, you know, there is this idea, they say that, you know, you have the right to practice your religion as you want to. You have the right to... Freedom of speech. Again, these are there are many other rights at there, you know, civil civil liberties.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the hypocrisy of this, so this morality, this um, that they then judge who is more deserving of having their rights um being taken care of via the law, mm-hmm. who has the rights to those respects. They are still, you know, they're deciding them. And what you'll find is many liberals are either atheists or their attachment to religion is very um, weak and they just do not understand why Muslims hold so strongly onto our um the laws that our creator has given us because they they dropped them they, they've left them a long time ago so there's a selective uh, morality when it comes to which humans are even more superior to the other because If we just take the example of France that you see there is a lot of discrimination specifically to to all immigrants, but to Muslims in particular, because they do because because they colonized um, Algeria, they colonized Mm -hmm. Morocco Mm -hmm. and then Muslims then moved to France. And they still see that we as the French people. Are more superior to these Algerians in the Moroccans who were our subjects, you know, who mm-hmm. we governed, mm-hmm. and so therefore you'll find, for example, the way that they view the deaths of migrants, in, you know, in the boats. For mm-hmm. example, that was a really glaringly obvious um, difference in in the way they um, value human beings. Mm-hmm. Those Muslims who di- you know, Muslims and non-Muslims who died in that, you know, in the boats coming over. And mm-hmm. compare that to those five people that died in, you know, sadly as well, died mm-hmm. in the submarine. Mm-hmm. And we see this again and again, whether the way that the war in Ukraine is reported, mm-hmm. and when we see, for example, the war in Yemen, the way that's reported. Mm-hmm. So there is a selective morality. And I think we all feel this. We know this, but because we see it in the British press as well, that the way mm-hmm. that our, you know, any Muslim story is, is um, involves a Muslim who's done something, or being accused of doing something the way that is reported is very different to for example what the way a non-muslim mm-hmm. white teenager might be um uh, reported on and so yeah. we have to be aware of this and realize okay that's the way it is okay. i'm going to then i'm not going to take it to heart i'm not going to allow it to upset me mm-hmm. and i'm going to continue obeying my creator because it doesn't matter what i, what I do they're never going to be happy with me so mm-hmm. why bother trying to please them
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so, um, and I think, you know, you've used, you're right. I think because it's very easy, I I guess, to, to be disheartened, especially from, um, you know depending I, I guess on kind of your age you know for those of us who might have um been around to see how the world transitioned almost kind of you know post 9-11 and then all the discourse and and, and all of those things and especially I guess you know for, for young people as well and um I mean you know and, and obviously because you're you're obviously mentioning um France because that, that is almost like a a catalyst of, of 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 how things have now you know playing out in in kind of the global political world kind of thing. Um and obviously but you've also mentioned kind of um c- colonialism and and how all of that has also you know led to to where we are. Um so for those who might not quite um really I guess understand exactly what's happening in France. So uh, again in in your book Hands Off um, Our Hijab you say that the French state has embarked upon the systematic dismantling of the religion of Islam as practiced by the majority of the Muslims in the country. Um. So could you just um, give us a bit of an idea of what is happening in France? And I know later on in the book, you kind of use the term inquisition as well. So I'd like to just get uh, a bit of, um, yeah, just for our listeners to get a bit of background on that. Yeah, so
0: it's quite shocking when you read, for example, there's an excellent article uh, in Middle East and I by um, Rayan Freshie, who... He works with, well, he works, he's part of CAGE, and Mm -hmm. he works in France um, looking, it's a civil liberties organisation where they document and um, uh, advocate for Muslims who are being discriminated by the laws in France. So, for example, since um, over the past year, uh, and these are laws that have been introduced um, from uh, 2020 onwards, Mm -hmm. um, the French government, they are um, targeting masjids, so they will um go in and monitor the khutbas that um are being um delivered and they will say to the imams that they're they're saying particular imams they'll say, No, you cannot be an imam of um this masjid. Mm-hmm. Um you know, whether that's through putting pressure, whether it's directly saying to them mm-hmm. pressurising masjids and saying that to them, we will close your masjid down if you speak about the issue politics, for example, if you speak about the Injustices that the French government is via its new laws that it's introducing, secular laws that's introducing to um, curtail the activity of Muslims. Mm-hmm. They have um, seized over 5 million euros in um, funds that belong to Muslim organizations and charities. Mm-hmm. And it's done, these organizations are involved in nothing illegal. They've done, they're not involved in any kind of violence. They are just charities, whether it's um and for the other thing that they've done is they are monitoring schools and closing down islamic schools mm-hmm. and again this you have to ask why that why is it that you say they say they believe in secularism but they then go ag- if um they go against their own beliefs because mm-hmm. if for example and what their aim is what we'll see that their aim is that they it's like they want to beat islam out of the muslims of france Mm-hmm. and make them so scared and so and they intimidate intimidate where they feel okay i'll just it's just easier to give up my islamsy or either i'll just mm-hmm. leave France. you know mm-hmm. it's um mm-hmm. it and when in in the quran and i'm paraphrasing when Allah says that you know what they say with their tongue you know the hatred they feel in the heart mm-hmm. is, is so much stronger than what they say you know via their tongue but in France, it seems like they'll say it by their t- what the what they feel in their heart, they it's they just insane. say it, mm. and we we have to think. Okay, if you have your beliefs, so liberals believe in in France, you know that, that they they have their French Revolution. It, they believe in they say they believe in liberty, fraternity, you know, uh, and egalitarianism, but not when it comes to Muslims, mm. and that just shows that actually that is um, your way of thinking is bankrupt. Because mm-hmm. it does, does it not remind us of the Quraysh in at the time of the mm-hmm. Prophet in Mecca, where yeah. they harassed the Muslims, they tortured the Muslims, they, you know, boycotted the Muslims. And mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. All because they wanted them to leave their Islam. And uh, may Allah reward the Muslims in France because they're not giving it up. Mm-hmm. They're sticking it's making them stick to Islam even stronger. And the Muslims who can't bear it, they're leaving. And Alhamdulillah, may Allah reward them for doing that hijrah mm-hmm. to keep their Islam and it just what it just shows is that the the french way of thinking and that liberal you know and again i'm not saying all the french people it's a very Mm -hmm. um planned french policy governmental policy so you know Mm -hmm. i have nothing against french people and and neither do muslim alhamdulillah but it just shows that they have lost when Mm -hmm. you have to resort to police violence and we know that the killing that just happened of um Mm -hmm. this young young 15 year old um Again, what does that show? You have to um, resort to violence to stop Muslims from their way of life. Mm-hmm. It just shows they are defeated, and we should feel well. That shows that we do have the hook, we do have the truth. And even in you know during difficult times, we always have to think. And I and I was um, speaking to a sister who moved from France and she moved to UK, and she said. You know, she goes. Maybe that will have been my key to Jannah, That I kept, held on to Islam. You know, like a hot. It was like a hot coal, like it's mm. mentioned in the Hadith, and I held on to it. And she goes, even though it was really hard. She goes, I'm happy I did because her. She goes, or then what will we give to the next generation? So yeah. th- that's just a snippet. But like I said, just go online. Uh, go to the Cage website or go to Middle East Eye. And you can find out more uh, details about what's happening.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, it's important that we're able, we're aware of what's going on and we're kind of doing our own research as well. So we are it, heading over to um, Anadraic very shortly. Um, we'll continue our conversation with I Amin about her book, Hands Off Our Hijab. Um, and in the meantime, obviously grab yourselves uh, maybe a tea, coffee, biscuits or whatever it is that you might like. And we'll be back in a few moments. as assalamu alaikum this is atif nawaz listen to inspirefm shows in your time by heading
0: over to inspirefm.org or listen on apple Podcasts or spotify
1: Assalamu and welcome back to the Book Club show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imrana Mahmood and we are talking on the show today about Hands Off Our Hijab, which is um, written by Farad Amin, who I'm delighted to have on the show with me this morning. Uh, just in the first half, we were talking a little bit about um, the reason behind why I felt, um, felt that she really wanted to um, write this book, um, particularly because of um, a continuous, I guess, narrative about um, missing women who are visible, who, who wear the headscarf, who may wear um, the, the niqab, etc., cetera, um, how it's kind of being criminalised um, in certain countries because of the laws that they've passed, um, but as well as just, I guess, you know, general stereotypes in, in the media and, and even in film, etc., as well. Um and obviously, just to say in terms of, you know, the the book itself and some of the views and um, discussions that we're having today, of course, these are, you know, these are um, very much rooted in um, facts that are actually taking place as we can see them, but obviously some of them are very much kind of personal experiences and things that we've um, obviously maybe experienced ourselves or heard of others. But of course, you know, like we were saying just at the end of the show, you know, feel free to, to you know, do your own research and, and find out exactly what is happening. Uh, but primarily, I, you know, I'm hoping that today's discussion will be kind of a catalyst for um, the Muslim community in particular to really, um, I guess, have some solidarity with each other that we're able to understand that actually in order to be... Um, visibly Muslim in particularly or any kind of i guess outward shows of, of devotion to our faith that ultimately it's something between you know us and, and and Allah as our creator and that is obviously kind of the spiritual aspect that we really always want to kind of focus on and um you know that sense of love and compassion for each other is you know definitely very important um so just to welcome for back on to um the uh show and obviously you can watch us on facebook live as well um so far just coming back to um the book and some of the discussions that we're having and you've kind of mentioned obviously the, the kind of colonial history um, not just with France, I, I, I guess you know of course even you know, in the British context that's still something very, very valid um, and you do actually talk a little bit about um, some of the history and how some of the laws that have passed and um, I guess what I found quite interesting is, so there's one quote where you say hypocritically, Cromer founded and presided over the Men's League for opposing women's suffrage in England, so this part of the book you're just um, Obviously exploring some of the, the history and some of the people that have been involved in the past and how you know certain laws have come to pass. And I guess this kind of really evident double standards that exists. And it just made me think, I guess, that why do you think despite the fact that we can see it's probably quite um, explicit in terms of these um Contradictions that people are sometimes failing to recognize some of maybe the hypocrisy. And I know you mentioned a few names, you know, in terms of some um, kind of well known personalities. So, yeah, like what is stopping people seeing that kind of pattern?
0: I think that we don't know our history, and I include myself. Mm-hmm. Because at school, we're not taught the history or the colonial past or. Egypt or India or any country, to be honest, mm-hmm. that the history that we're taught, you know, I took GCSE history and I would have loved to take A level, but <clears throat> the history that you're, we're taught will be, uh, it's, you know, there's a saying that the, the, um, the victors always write history. So in if you go through the education system in the UK or really in Europe, you'll get a very European version of what happened in, for example, um Egypt. So what happened in Egypt? when the British colonized and someone, one of the people that was in charge was Lord Cromer. and when he was there, he there were um, a writing, you know he wrote books and he encouraged the writings of, of um books about Muslims and Muslim in particular. and he um when he was back in the UK, he was against women receiving the vote. He was against the suffrage mo- movement. He was very vocal and in, even um, put money and put his support into stopping women in the UK. So these are English, you know, British women. He didn't want them to have the vote because he just felt women were, um, you know, that they, they shouldn't vote. They shouldn't have the, the, a choice in, for example, the who the who represents them in politics.
1: Mm-hmm. So he's,
0: he was he was against that in the UK. But when he went to Egypt, he... Publicly pretended that he cared about Muslim women, that he cared that they he, that they should be liberated, and he very strongly advocated that Muslim women should remove their hijab in public. Hmm. And you and the thing is, we were I would I didn't know about that until I started to research this book and look into uh, well what happened in you know in certain Muslim countries when it came to you know the Muslim women. For example, in Algeria, the French they would. Um, uh, they were brutal not to to all the Muslims of Algeria where they um they were there were mass killings of men and women and to get to the men in particular they would have this public um uh taking off of women's hijabs they would um kill muslim men their husbands and put the women into brothels and again and parade them and they would take photos of them there's You know books written about this where there were photos of women in um you know untressed and these photos would then be sold as postcards in france and you just think when i read it it, i was um i was extremely you know i was just shocked that how could they have they have got away with this how could they have done this but the reason was because they had occupied our lands and the, all the things that all the, you know, the structures that were there to protect men and women were removed and then they could do whatever they wanted to us. And but it's interesting, again, they speak about they don't teach their students that they don't teach French people um, about that in um, mm. I, I, in the education system. And so as Muslims, Alhamdulillah, has given us a brain Allah has given us an akal. We have to go and do this ourselves, and then that's how we'll understand the hypocrisy. So, mm-hmm. I would say, in a way, it's not the fault of Muslims, but that's one reason I thought, let me write this book to mm. help people understand what happened so mm. that when and we can learn from our past, so that when the French then say to us, or to be honest, the British, when they went to India, they're very similar situations, they weren't as um, violent in the removal of hijab, but as far as making us Feel that they their way of dress, their way of eating, their way of speaking is superior to our way. So hmm. English is better than Urdu or Punjabi. You know, a, you know, um, a suit and tie is better than a shalakamis. You hmm. know, to hmm. th- that inferiority complex, they put that in us, and that hmm. that idea that we should look up to them. And we should our you know eating with our hands is not as good as eating with a knife and fork. Mm. There's that recent movie on Netflix about Mrs. Chatterjee where Mm. that really illustrated a modern example that's still happening. Where there's this Indian lady who you know she she's raising her child according to her cultural Mm. norms. Her you know and and good for her. That's that's what we all want to do. Mm. But she's made to feel and her her child is taken away because she does that. Mm. And that's so. We need to remove that idea that somehow out the way of, you know, they can't colonize us anymore, but we do have to wonder sometimes, have our minds still mm. been colonized? Mm-hmm. And being aware of that is the first step towards changing. And that's what we need to do. Because so, what it is, what the situation we're in now is we're in a situation where we have non-Muslim fashion brands like Nike, Nike, um, Like um, United uh, colours of Benetton, Gucci.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, we're not going to necessarily single out certain things, but yeah, no, absolutely, there are definitely brands out there. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: So, so yeah, they're they're just the ones I'd seen. That they are then telling Muslim women, this is how you should wear your hijab. This is how you should style it. This is how you should look when you are covered. This is how you should behave. This is how much makeup you should wear this is how Mm. tight your clothing should be and they're what they've done they've done that through again so they've done that through marketing they've done that through having personalities supporting these brands and so they're redefining and then telling us here you go this is how you should wear hijab Mm -hmm. and if we're not careful we will believe them and we have to think why why would we allow a non-muslim brand who just wants to make money out of us, let's be completely honest, their, their purpose is to make money, is to mm-hmm. sell us their clothing. But they think they have, again, here's the audacity, where they think they can tell us how to, uh, to cover. You know, we wouldn't accept that if a brand suddenly started to tell us, redefine the way we pray or redefine the way we do uh, go to Hajj. We would say absolutely not. We'd see it a mile away. And what I'm, and I, again, I'm a, I'm a complete victim of that, you know. I want, and so if we, because we can look at that and think, oh wow, this is representation, you know. It, this is, um, we're getting um, finally, we're getting seen, and you know, it's not just, um, you know, we have a platform, we have a stage. But my, if message I would say to all of us, and um, to, to men and women, is don't let others tell you how to obey your creator don't tell non-muslims who, who don't aren't, don't share our belief who have not studied the deen who know nothing about the prophet Sallallahu Alaihi who know nothing about how did the prophet's uh, wives how did they cover what did they say to, i will take my islam from the prophet Sallallahu i'll take my islam from aisha may Allah be pleased with her from fatima from um khadijah they are the women and who deserve to be listened to. You know, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is the one who tells me how to cover, how to eat, how to be a wife, how to be a mother, how to what kind of work I should go into. Um, mm. Not, you know, these, these brands who really don't care about us, who will do anything really to, to sell us, you know, a, a, a hijab.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you've kind of covered such important points, I think, because um, obviously there's one aspect that you're talking about um, the fact that, yeah, they're no longer, I guess, you know, these certain um, countries kind of colonize us. um, But at the same time, the fact that we need to make sure, you know, we haven't, I guess, internalized that. Right. Because obviously, if our minds, like you've rightly said, uh, are still, you know, um, I guess, having this hierarchy of what um, the right culture, the right way to eat or the right way to dress is. And we're kind of comparing it to what we think ours is somehow inferior. So definitely, you know, you, we can still see how that plays out. And and just like, you know, what you've discussed right now, you have a really interesting chapter in Hands of our Hijab about um, modest fashion. Um, and I guess that was something, you know, maybe I wanted to you know delve into a little bit more because you're absolutely right you know we have this idea of like what you know kind of non Muslim brands so to speak that are you know advertising marketing you know the way you know we should dress or the way we should look but i guess you know what about the the flip side and how about um you know, we've got, um, I guess, Muslim influences or, or Muslim organisations, companies, whatever you want to call it, that now um, have this idea of, of modest fashion. Um, so, you know, how do we how do we navigate all of that as, as Muslims then?
0: Alhamdulillah. You know, I'm, I'm sure, Imani, you seem like you've been wearing hijab for a long time. So you probably are, like me, know how it used to be 10, 20 years ago, yeah. where you couldn't get... Um, um, Really nice, like, long um, yeah. sleeve dresses and, and and different styles of hijab. So, Alhamdulillah, we've come a long way, and I thank Allah for the mm. for that. And and really, it is off the back of um, Muslim um, designers, Muslim um, um, fashion brands. They, you know, there's a lot that they've done that has mm. been good for us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I lived in Turkey for a while, and um, <clears throat> it's so nice. When you go there it's so easy to be a Muslim woman, as mm-hmm. in you don't feel any... It was a real <clears throat> breath of fresh air that mm-hmm. no one is looking at you. Mm-hmm. You're just you're just a Muslim. You can be a Muslim. You can dress as a Muslim. Um, people, alhamdulillah, people treat you... Men are... This is even like when I think of... Um, Muslim men treat uh, Muslim women with so much respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really felt... I can't um, uh, I, I overemphasize uh, the the mm-hmm. peace of mind I felt as a Muslim woman mm-hmm. in in Turkey. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm sure there, Malaysia Malaysia's probably very similar. I'm sure there's lots of many Muslim countries where you know it didn't matter whether you were in the garb or as I'm wearing it. You know, whichever way you were covered, mm-hmm. um, you never felt. I never felt unease, Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. That's just one and. And the thing is that then the to be able to go into any shop and find clothes that fulfill the requirements um, of um, what Allah has, you know, what the Quran and Sunnah say is very easy. Again, uh, we know the struggle of, of you know, it's, it's too see-through, you know, the sleeves are half sleeve. you have to get some kind of undergarment. It, mm. It's all, it's like a it's, it's a, it's a big hassle. And so alhamdulillah, so this idea of modest fashion, alhamdulillah, I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. alhamdulillah That you just what well, because what's the opposite you know i can know that promiscuous mm-hmm. fashion is the opposite mm-hmm. the idea that a woman um and young women and girls as well it's filtered out of that somehow you should sexualize yourself when you go outside and it's a, this is a problem that muslim and non-muslim women feel that when we dress it's for not just for the purpose of utility and practicality or just wanting to look nice somehow you should be wanting to attract the attention of the opposite sex that somehow that gives you more value and mm-hmm. that if you are not doing that you're frumpy. you're not as um mm-hmm. uh, you're not as interesting and that is such a bad that has such a bad impact on women's mental health on their well-being that they always constantly are wanting that attention and we know in islam that is forbidden mm-hmm. and and we and we and and the thing is that and that leads to um, women then cho- um, going to lengths to alter their appearance to, especially you know I was listening to a um, uh, account from a, a, a revert sister who was saying that when she was younger she didn't have a, um, um, a strong family like people weren't there to uh, her father wasn't there um, so there was no one there to say to her you know what you should. Um, um, you don't need to dress like that to get the attention of boys because those boys or those men, they don't value you. You are just, and this is her words, you're just a piece of meat to them. That There's something they want from you, and once they've got it, they will drop you like a sack of potatoes. And think. So she would, to get attention, she would dress very provocatively, and then she goes, I would get that attention, and then she goes, and that's what would happen. They would just, they didn't have any respect for me. This is her saying that, again, I, I'm... And then she goes, once she became Muslim, she goes, I took control of, she goes, it took time, but she goes, it took control of uh, my appearance and realized that actually Allah knows what's best for me. She goes, and then she goes, then my self-esteem, I was no longer dressing for men. She said that she goes some boys. She goes, I was, she goes, I felt better. She goes, I valued myself and I wouldn't just give everything of myself to them. Mm-hmm. So. That yeah. is what we have to, you know. Are we? If we we have a choice, we, and everything is a choice ultimately, and those choices we make will either grant us jannah, which it will be for eternity, or they they will grant us unhappiness in this life and the next. So, mm. to be able to have access to clothes that um, fulfil the requirements of hijab is brilliant, and mm. you know, I love award all the influencers who do that. Uh, and help their
1: sisters um you know inshallah yeah and it's such an important you know i think definitely a point to make cuz all i can keep thinking is even if it happens now you, you go into a shop you think oh that's such a lovely top or a beautiful dress and then you turn it around and it's completely <laughs> backless or something yeah, the you back, know the yeah back is gone. <laughs> there's a whole piece of fabric that technically should be there and it's not so um no, no, 100%. Alhamdulillah, you know, you, you're right. You know, the, the struggles, I think, when, yeah, when I was younger in terms of having to go like clothes shopping and, and even now, like, especially um, trying to get into fitness. And again, I know we can talk a little bit about capitalism and, and obviously like the Muslim pound and how, you know, organizations are kind of, I guess, um, uh, taking advantage of that. But at the same time, no, you're right. You know, there, there's so much out there. Alhamdulillah. Um, but, at the, you know, what was me, ma- I was thinking as you were kind of speaking and, you know we do get a lot of um, conversation about obviously freedom to choose and of course that's really important and i guess you know when it comes to hijab specifically everyone is on their own journey um but it did make me think so because for example you know um Uh, one part of your book uh, you mention that um, like therefore in Islam family members can advise and correct each other um, when they see their loved ones choosing to disobey Allah because obviously ultimately as Muslims you know the constant reminder I mean I give to myself every time you know if I am being kind of present in my action is the fact that I'm putting on my hijab I'm leaving my home you know and it's out of my love for Allah and you know it's it is part of my faith and I always, I guess, try to hold on to that quite strongly. But I guess I'm thinking, you know, what if this idea of advising and the see her, you know, it kind of sometimes I see takes a little bit of a negative turn and, you know, it can sometimes lead to people, um, even I guess with the best intentions, whether it's family or friends, uh, almost bordering like policing, like, no, and it becomes a very negative experience for maybe Muslim women. So I guess how... How you know, is I guess I don't know what my question is. I'm getting thinking how do we navigate all of that? You yeah, know, so it doesn't get an yeah. yeah
0: yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. It is a problem and I and um young women do feel this more I, I do think there is mm. um a level of um scrutiny that mm. is is put on with young women um more than the more than the boys in the mm. family and I think what we have to do, because I've written a book called Smart Teenage Muslim, and I, and I mm. look, look into this even further. But this is really for all of us, but parents in particular, that we have to think very carefully about how we're parenting, uh, and for aunties and uncles and even grandparents, we have to think before we speak. And what we have to think about is what? How did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam awesome. give, give advice? How did he teach? Um, the younger generation around him, but he was the Prophet Sallallahu so there were older mm. generation, every all ages he was speaking to. Mm. And <clears throat> have we taken the time to study his life? There's an excellent book by um it's um um about the seerah that's out it's uh these um it's the seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu so Alaihi I'm, I'm currently reading it and it's such a good refresher to keep reading the life of the of the Prophet Sallallahu so Alaihi If you never have written read a book about his life please do so because mm. you will see how he interacted and um gave da'wah gave nasihad to people mm. and that has to that if we say we believe in the Prophet we have to follow his example. So and when we do that you we will see that when he did not
1: Oh I think I've just lost a bit of connection. So he wait, he no. didn't
0: um He wasn't harsh with um, people when with young people. He wasn't. He didn't verbally abuse them, as in shouting. You know, Mm -hmm. astaghfirullah. He would never swear at his children or swear. You know, even to even when they were doing something wrong. You know, there's an example, just a quick example, where a man came to the masjid and he he urinated in the masjid, Mm -hmm. and wouldn't that just blow our tops if that happened in front of us? Mm -hmm. But the Prophet he didn't do that. He he, he the, the you know, the, the filth was washed and he spoke to the man. You know, and mm. because and that's just one example. There are many examples of people are very harsh. There's an example, a funny one where um a non Muslim was rude to the Prophet and his wife Aisha with her, was standing next to him and she got angry and told mm. them, How dare you speak to the Prophet or like that? And the Prophet turned around and said to her took okay, calm down. And he said to her, If you're harsh, it mm. will Turn people away from Islam, it, mm-hmm. and so and then he spoke to the man. Mm-hmm. So we have to think, you know, when our children go to school and when they're watching watching Netflix shows or speaking to youth workers or therapists or their teachers at school, in particular, because of high school, everything is explained to them very calmly. Mm-hmm. You know, they're told, you know, you can do what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a choice. You know, um, especially in the PSHE lessons, everything is presented very calmly. No shouting no, you must do this. Mm. And they um, warm to it. They then listen to those teachers. They listen to those ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is nowadays. So mm. however we were taught Islam, whether it's the way we were taught to pray, to fast, to wear hijab, to respect our parents, mm. you know, this twice you know, some of it worked, some of it didn't. Mm-hmm. But the way thing that you have to manage and talk to your children now is you have to be very calm. And when you're going to give advice, you have to be very calm and listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Listen to understand why are they having a problem with something you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then you just talk about it. You don't demand it. You don't shout and scream it. Mm-hmm. You don't, definitely you do not hit them because I have been not been able to find one example where the Prophet Sallallahu mm-hmm. was violent towards his children or to his wives or advocated that violence mm-hmm. to, um, you, know, you know, as in uh, to, to any member of his family. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we have to stop doing as a community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, other communities do it as well. It's not it's just not like it's just a Muslim problem. I know in the media they like to say that, but yeah, it's course. definitely not. It's more of an issue with the individual. You know, it's some kind of anger issue they have got.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and you know and I think it's really um important that against you, you know you're mentioning kind of a more broad um kind of I guess you know experiences as well and the way that yeah you're right Islam is taught and we know many of us who might have um you know gone to you know madrasa or you know masjids and you know um when we were younger and how maybe some teachers um used to yeah i guess you know that their, their manner of teaching maybe wasn't necessarily something which was um kind of a, a positive experience let's say you know for, for some people yeah um you know but you know, alhamdulillah for me you know i i mean i i used to enjoy it and i guess i tried to take the same approach you know with my children and, and again you're right i mm. guess because we are in um you know, uh, living in the West, but of course, we're, we're a minority. And again, you know, that the, the, the st- strength or the, the strong relationship we have with our faith does mean you know we're I guess viewed sometimes a bit differently and you know again it comes back to the you know the hadith that Islam started as some, some, something strange it will end as something strange you know and blessed be the strangers so you know I think it's such an important um, thing just to always have our you know relationship with the Prophet wa sallam and, and to keep to uh, keep to our strength and look at the stories of the um. harbors especially I guess you know as Muslim women, and obviously your book being, you know, about hands of our hijab, and yeah, look at uh, the the women around the Messenger, you know, Sallallahu Alaihi as well, and kind of we take a lot from them. Um, so thank you so much, Mafat, um, for, for today. It's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking with you about hands of our hijab, and I know you've got other. Two other books which you mentioned, which is "Smart Single Muslimer" and "Smart Teenager Muslimer." So definitely, I'd recommend um, our listeners—you know—grab um, copies for, for all of them. You know, pass them um, on to, to younger people as well. Um, so, inshallah, we will be back. Um, hopefully, I'll be back um, in another couple of weeks with a new book and a new guest. In the meantime, please to keep us in your duas, and we will see you very soon. Asalamualaikum.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.